Great to be together this morning. As uh, was said earlier, my name is Gary Weber. I'm the pastor here at Southside, and we are delighted to be here worshiping with you uh, together. And uh, we have started a journey together that we are calling uh, the Disciples' Journey. We are taking a look at some passages of Scripture together that talk about uh, what it takes, what are some of those habits that help you to become Uh, a more fully devoted follower of Jesus. That's our our goal as a church, is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And we're working with a basic definition of a disciple. You know, the Bible never, ever calls believers Christians. There are just two times in the New Testament the word Christian is used, and both times they're kind of derogatory terms. But the term that the New Testament uses to describe followers of Jesus is a disciple. So we're working with a basic definition of disciple. I think we have it. We'll put it up here on the screen. A disciple is a person in the process, meaning you're not going to get there overnight. You're not going to get there by accident. It's going to require intentionality on your part. It's a process of learning the teachings of Jesus in the scripture and following his example in obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what that means is that you cannot just simply learn more about Jesus and be a disciple. In fact, the Bible does not even leave a category for people who believe in Jesus but don't follow Jesus. It would be like, for example, the fact that I believe in George Washington. And I love American history, so I've read some things about George Washington. So I know a a few little things about George Washington. I know about George Washington. I believe George Washington existed, but I am not a disciple of George Washington. I, I know some things about Winston Churchill. I believe Winston Churchill existed, but I'm not a disciple of Winston Churchill. And, and here's what we have to know. You can come to church and read your Bible. You can learn a lot about Jesus. You can even believe that Jesus existed. It does not mean that you're following him. And being a disciple means that you are in the process of following him. And so we're starting this series off, we're starting this journey off by looking at the first few chapters of a book that is in your New Testament called the book of Acts. If you go to your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four books tell the story of Jesus from four different perspectives. The book of Luke tells the story of what the disciples did after Jesus left. And why this is so important for us as we talk about discipleship is this, when Jesus called his disciples He was physically present, and he said, hey, come follow me. And they followed him for three years. And as they followed him, they learned things. They heard things. They watched things. They saw miracles. They they followed after Jesus. But then, after he was crucified and after he was resurrected, he spent 40 days with them. And they're thinking, okay, we're set. Now they can't even kill this guy. Right? I mean, they can't kill him. They tried. They can't kill him. We're in. We're, we're, in, we're going to follow him all the rest of our days. But 40 days after his resurrection, he pulled him aside. He said, hey, guys, listen, I'm going away. I'm going back to heaven. And it's better for you that I go back to heaven so that the Holy Spirit can come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive power and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so, so the idea is, how do they follow Jesus when they can no longer see him? How do the disciples learn how to follow him on a day-by-day basis when he is no longer with them? 
And so we are taking these first few chapters of the book of Acts and we're learning what were the habits of those early disciples and how can we adopt those habits ourselves in order to grow in our faith in 2018. And last week we started this by looking at some of the, these, we believe there are at least five habits that I can find, there may be more, but at least five habits in these first few chapters of the book of Acts. And so last week we started off and we said last week that disciples wait on God. That's habit number one. Disciples wait on God. Now, we don't like that. There's probably not a person in this room who likes the idea of waiting on anything. And we live in a culture that has actually conditioned us that we don't have to wait on anything. We can have it instantly. But you realize that your faith journey with Jesus will not work like microwave popcorn. It just won't. And if you're expecting that, hey, you know what, I'm starting off something new, I'm 2018, you know, the Jags are in the playoffs, anything can happen, right? So I'm going to go to church and I'm going to show up and you show up this week or maybe you showed up for a couple weeks and then you think, well, it's just not working. Of course it's not working because that's not how faith works. It takes time. And what happens for a lot of us is that we either get busy, we either become passive And we don't follow God's lead like when he's nudging us. Or we get impatient and we move on to other things. But really it's in the tension between that, in the patience, in the patience of waiting on the Lord that God does his deepest work inside of us. That's what we talked about last week. And this week we're going to go on and look at Acts chapter 2. And we're going to learn this simple habit. And habit number two, and it's this, that disciples grow in community. Disciples grow in community. In community. Now at Southside, we have small groups and we encourage everybody who's a part of Southside to be involved in a small group because we believe that a small group is the best environment to facilitate spiritual growth. This is great. Gathering to worship is great. And we hope you'll come back week after week. And we know that God can use our time together in worship to grow our faith. But there is no place more effective at growing you and deepening your faith and challenging you than in a small group. So we have a little phrase that we say, we believe circles are better than rows. On Sunday morning in worship, you come sit in a rows. But in small groups, you sit in a circle. But this was not original with us. And it's not even original with some of the other churches who've been doing small group for for generations. Actually, we find the the basis for this, for, for being together in community, living together in community in small groups, we find it in the Bible itself. Not just in the book of Acts in the early church, but in the ministry of Jesus. So Jesus would go around, everywhere Jesus would go, there'd be a huge crowd. He'd show up and hundreds of people. And the more people heard about him, the more people showed up to hear him. But Jesus, while he taught the masses, he discipled a handful of followers. Just a handful. In fact, he picked 12 apostles that stayed with him around the clock, day in and day out, because Jesus knew something. Jesus knew that if he was going to change their lives and through them change the world, it was going to require them to get intimate and live in community and disciples grow in community. So this morning, as we talk about this, I want to share with you three specific things that disciples share in community that I believe facilitates their, their growth. Three, three things that disciples share in community. And the first one is this. We share the gospel in community. We share the gospel. Now, if you're not a regular church attender or not a Christian and you're here today, you may think, well, I hear the word the gospel, but I don't really know what the gospel is. Well, it's, it's really simple, actually. The gospel means the good news or the story. 
The story is basically that we were separated from God. God so loved us that he sent Jesus. He took on flesh. He came and lived among us. He died a sacrificial death to make payment for our sins that we could be connected to God. And God raised him from the dead. And now we can have peace with God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And the early church shared the gospel in community. They shared it with each other, but they also shared it with the world that was around them. Look with me in Acts chapter 2, and let's see how this played itself out. Now, just to bring you up to speed, uh, Jesus is about to leave, says, go to the upper room, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. The disciples go to this room where they had met many times before, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting day after day after day. One day turns into a week. A week turns into a month. Forty days they're waiting. And then the Holy Spirit comes. Now, in God's strategic plan, there was a reason why he waited. First of all, because he wanted to do something in their life and grow their faith. But also, 40 days after Jesus ascended back to heaven was the festival of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. Now, this was a Jewish holiday. And what would happen on a Jewish holiday is that all people from all around uh, the known world would travel to Jerusalem for these festivals, these Jewish festivals. So people literally from all different languages and people groups found their way into the city of Jerusalem and they're in the city for the festival, for the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes in the upper room and then the most amazing thing happens. These disciples who are waiting up there suddenly can tell the story of the gospel in languages that they never learned. It was just a miracle. Suddenly, there's somebody there who speaks Phoenician, and somebody is there speaking Phoenician, who's never spoken Phoenician before, telling them the story of Jesus. And here's what happened. So so as the, the disciples are all sharing the message of the gospel in languages that they didn't know, we see the entire Acts 1-8 lived out. The Holy Spirit came, empowered them to share the message of the gospel, and now they are sharing the gospel in Jerusalem with people who are going to leave Jerusalem and go back to the far reaches of the world, and they're taking the message of the gospel with them. That the gospel actually left Jerusalem before the disciples did, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So they're sharing the message of the gospel in community. And then in the middle of all this, Peter preaches the very first sermon of the church. And and we're not going to read the whole sermon together, uh, but you can read it. We've got a daily reading plan for you on the back of the bulletin. If you you want to get in God's word this year, you can follow along and and read some of those passages. But let me just share. It's a three-point sermon, and let me just share the three points with you. Okay, point number one, you were a sinner And God sent Jesus to save you. Point number two, you killed him. Point number three, say you're sorry. That was the sermon. That's basically what he preached. And and listen to the response of the people who were gathered in the upper room. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Down in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's incredible. But it wasn't just because Peter preached a fantastic sermon. 
It was because all the disciples together, through the power of the Holy Spirit, were actively sharing the message of the gospel with anybody and everybody who would listen. They were sharing it with each other. They were sharing it with all those who gathered together. And the Bible says 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus. And, And what this tells us, what this reminds me of, is how important it is for us together to share the good news and the message of the gospel. It's not something we just do on our own. In fact, it's better if we do it together. The examples through the book of Acts uh, just continue to confirm the fact that the gospel shared in community. We're going to look next week at the story of Peter and John and how they shared the message of the gospel together. You go on and you read through the book of Acts and you see how Paul and Barnabas shared the gospel together, how Paul and Silas shared it together, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Luke, Paul and Titus. And all of this finds its roots back in something Jesus did with the disciples. He called All of his disciples together, there were about 72 of them together. This is before the crucifixion. And listen to what he said in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, in every town and place where he himself was about to go. That we share the gospel, we share the message of the story of Jesus in community. It's one of the reasons we gather here. It's one of the reasons we sang this morning the song we sang about what we believe. Because I don't know about you, I go out into the world and and I quickly reminded that not everybody shares my faith and shares my belief. And so for me to come together with a community of people who share my same convictions and share my belief is encouraging to me. It builds me up, it gives me confidence as I go back out into the world. And so one reason why we believe you should be in a small group is because it will put you in a community where you can be more effective in sharing the message of the gospel. It's in your small group that you can pray together for people in your family, people in your community, who you know need to be touched with the message and the love and the hope of Jesus Christ. We've actually challenged each other this year through the disciples' journey to take something we're calling the 365 Challenge. And the 365 Challenge, there are cards in front of you. There's a booth set out right in front of the elevators as you leave today. But basically, the three of the 365 Challenge is that in 2018, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna commit under the leadership of God to share our faith with three people that God brings into our path. That's a, that may be a tall order for some who have never shared their faith in Jesus at all to say, this year I'm going to share my faith with three people. That's a pretty tall order. But here's what I know. It will be much easier if we in community encourage one another, support one another, hold one another accountable. Every one of our small groups, we're trying to, uh, trying to put in every small group a leader that we're calling the go leader. This is a person who in our small group helps to equip that small group and lead that small group out in mission and outreach to the community And so through our small groups, we're trying to do all we can to help one another share the message of the gospel. For some of you, maybe it's just even being in a small group and gaining the confidence of how to talk about your story, how you came to faith in Christ, how to be able to talk about spiritual things because you may be in an environment where you never talk about spiritual things, but in a small group of other believers, you can begin to exercise your vocabulary about what it means to share your faith, to talk about faith things, and then hearing from other people how they're sharing their story out in their community. We want you to understand that, that disciples grow in community, and one of the reasons we can grow in community is because it's in community that we share the gospel. The second thing that I think we see 
that the disciples shared in community was resources. Resources. Look with me at Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So when the early church was together, uh, they understood that they were uh, they, they were being opposed by the religious leaders in their community. They were being rep- opposed by the political leaders of their community. And so they clung to, to one another in community. And in community, they shared resources. Listen to some of the things that they shared from these verses. They shared knowledge. They shared knowledge about the gospel. They shared knowledge about the teachings of Jesus. Think about this for just one second. They did not have the New Testament. Nobody had written it. They had not written it yet. So they're together, and if anybody's going to remember the stories of Jesus or tell the parables or, or tell things that Jesus said, it had to be one of them who was telling it. And so they shared their knowledge, and out of their sharing of the knowledge, we gain the New Testament. As these apostles and disciples began to write down those stories and all that they shared together, but they didn't just share knowledge, they shared their time. They weren't just together on Sunday mornings for a couple hours and maybe on Wednesday night, they were together day in and day out. They lived together. They worked together. They survived by being together. They shared the gospel. They shared prayers. They shared their possessions. They opened up their homes for one another. They shared their food. They worshiped together. They shared the gifts that God had given them together. All of this happened as they shared these resources. And look what it says again at the end of verse 47. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, the reason they had favor with all the people, even people that didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, even people that didn't share their convictions or their beliefs, they had favor with them because when Christians live together in authentic community, it's attractive to the rest of the world. Why do you think every popular sitcom is about a community of friends who live together and all get along and have a good time? Because deep inside of every human heart is a longing to belong to something bigger than yourself. And these early Christians understood that, and they lived together, and they shared in community, and whether people believed them or not, they looked at that, and it was attractive to them, because they were growing in community as they shared their resources. I want to invite um, Heather Wilson to come up, if she will. Heather, come on up here for just a second. Um, I want to introduce, many of you have uh, met Heather and uh, know her. We prayed for Heather, was it back in September, that, was it September that we, uh, or late August, wasn't it late August? Come on up, Heather. L- late August, I lose the time, but many of you may remember late August. Yes, we had Heather and we prayed for Heather as she prepared to uh, leave us to go and do some uh, mission work in China. She worked there with an orphanage and we're so glad that God brought you back to us at Southside. Um, but, but Heather, uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about what you, uh, what you were able to do while you were in China and, and your journey since you were last up here with us now that you're back in Jacksonville. Um, I, I spent seven years in China um, 
from 2008 to 2015 and returned back to the States. And my last couple of years there, I was specifically working with a children's home and um, working with children who had special needs and that were in the adoption process. And, um, and I was also had the opportunity while I was there to also attend churches in homes. And so that was something that really um, spoke to me um, in that the early church also met in homes. And that's, that's um, one of the um, hallmarks of the, of the Chinese church. Um, but my last couple of years there, I was um, working in a children's home. And um, they have, in, in the last few months, there's been a lot of new regulations in China, um, not just with the church, but also with um, those who work with, especially foreigners working with children. And they had asked me to go back and just help them in some of the transition process. And at the time, I'd just been back in Jacksonville for um, a here in Jacksonville for about a year and had joined this church and and so many things that the Lord showed me over and over again that I was supposed to go back for the fall. He opened up the doors. He um, made the path smooth at, at my job and so many things that that showed me that I was supposed to go back. And it was throughout May, June that I was making the decision. And then I went back August 31st. And you were there into December? December 12th is when I came And then came, came back. back. And, and when, I, when I called Heather and asked her to share today, um, we had a very interesting conversation about the church in China and believers in China and how really they have to exist in communities and home churches. Talk to us a little bit about your experience with the home church in China and what that's like and how those believers are growing in community. Okay. Um, there's, there's really two ways to meet in China. There's the government-sponsored churches, and it looks a lot like here, and I've, I've visited those churches, and many of them are preaching the gospel and very um, gospel-minded and share the gospel. Um, but there's really there's, there's other reasons. Um, multiple reasons. In some local communities, it's not possible to meet in a church like that. And then some communities, there's not enough churches. There'll be a city of 8 million people and they'll have three churches this size. And so many, many people meet in homes. And um, I was able to be part of some of those communities. And when I went back this fall, I rejoined a community that I'd been a part of. And um, before, when I'd come back to the States periodically through my seven years in China, I often would say, I think some of what you heard, it's not as bad as what you've heard. Things are much more open now. um, There's a lot more freedom than they used to have. But when I went back this fall, I wasn't hearing that. And I was seeing that even in the group I was attending. Um, I attended for a while, but if I had remained there, I probably wouldn't have been able to keep meeting with them just because of the danger I brought by by attending with them. So a foreigner coming in set off some red flags. Yes, it would be obvious. It would, Mm -hmm. it would, um, it would bring more attention than they needed. And I just got a message from the leader of that group um, a couple of days ago, and um, they were saying that the new rule now is that even in government-sponsored churches, no one under the age of 18 can attend. That's a new government law. And so they know, they know that that our next generation is our future and that you're just one generation away from losing it. And so really the the church that exists in these small communities, they are Mm -hmm. so dependent on each other to grow in their faith and and to live a Christian life because where else are they going to go? Right, right. And they are, they're such a close-knit community. And when I went back this fall, I was just reminded again, just how wonderfully sweet these believers are. And they're worried, too. I'm praying for them, and I hope that all of you will pray for them, too, because they, they're, they're worried about the persecution that they see coming back. Yeah. So. 
Um, now, while you were gone, uh, mm-hmm. you, you left and went away, mm-hmm. and, and, and as you were leaving, a, a lady named Irma came to visit Jacksonville. <laughs> yes. And, and, and so there were some things that happened in that time that you actually experienced community um, from afar. Would mm-hmm. you share with us a little bit about what your experience was while you were in China, what was going on yes. here? Uh, so I left August 31st, and on September 12th, my sister, who also lives in Jacksonville, said, I tried to get to San Marco and look at your apartment, and I can't even get there. The road is completely flooded. You probably lost most of your belongings. And, um, of course, I was worried. I'd only been back. I was back in China just for 10 days, and all my things were here. And so I really didn't know what, what was going to happen. <laughs> so, um, But I'm so thankful to many people in this church, and, and that's where community comes in. And I felt the community from this church in the year I've been here over and over again. And the Lord, just as I had come back from being overseas for so many years and coming back here and meeting so many new friends and being ministered to over and over again. Um, the, Lord, the Lord has really, um, in many ways, healed me when I came back. And, um, and then even through Irma, and I know you all did amazing things here. I know that the church was um, a shelter for, for several, several weeks, and I read about that. But on a personal note, I want to thank everyone who went to my apartment and helped clear out all of my belongings. By then, everything I know was moldy and nasty. And I know several, um, several people from the church. I don't even know everyone, so I'm not going to start naming names, but I know people from the Turknet group and the Gilder group and, and staff members. And, and many people went and helped um, just get, take, take care of my apartment for me while I wasn't here. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. And then when I came back, and even while I was there, I had people from my grow group um, asking me, how are things going? Can we help you? What about when you get back? Do you have a place to live? Do you have furniture? Every day I still have people asking me, can I help you with something? So, and, so let's set it straight. Do you need any furniture? No, no. Okay. I'm, <laughs> Keep that, keep that couch in your garage. <laughs> no, but really, I, I'm very, very thankful for everyone who's offered and, and monetary help as well. It, it, pe- people here are so generous, and, and I've been so thankful. But one of the things that was the most moving to me was on Tuesday evening, last two, two Tuesday evenings ago, I went to the Tuesday night prayer group, and I saw the card, and there was a card where they had signed when they prayed for me and it looked like almost every day I was gone perhaps every day I was gone someone had prayed for me and signed and I'm so thankful that I've had people from the seniors group saying I prayed for you every day you were gone and and I could feel that I could see that I saw God work in amazing ways while I was gone um, while I was over there things that I never imagined could happen I saw him work through others I saw him work through me so so thank you that's amazing and you know I think part of it for us is recognizing that uh, it's just we are so grateful to you to answer the call of Jesus to go and, and be his witness and for us to be able to support you in that. It's just what communities are supposed to do. It's how we grow together in community. Would you give Heather a round of applause and thank her? Thank you, thank thank you, you so you. much. I appreciate it. So, so disciples grow in community. They grow by sharing the gospel. They grow by sharing resources. Uh, and they grow also in a third way that may not be as obvious. They grow through their problems. They grow through their problems. This is not going to be any surprise to you, but whenever there are people, there are always problems. In fact, I don't know about you, Eddie, but if, if church would be great if it weren't for people, right? There'd be no problems in it. If people just didn't show up, there wouldn't be a problem in it. But, but, but everywhere you go, any group you're involved in, there are always problems. Every family's got problems. Every institution, organization has problems. But here's what is so critical for us to understand. That when we share our problems in community, it is an opportunity for God to grow and strengthen 
our faith. Look what happens in Acts chapter 6. Turn with me over just a few chapters in your Bible to Acts chapter 6, and we're going to look at the first crisis that the church faced. Look what happened. Acts chapter 6, remember, 3,000 people got saved on that first day that Peter preached. And then they continued to grow. God was adding to their numbers every day. With every person that he added, he added a new problem. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 6, the wheels are about to come off the bus. Look what happens. Acts chapter 6 verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now what this means basically is that an amazing thing was happening. The message of the gospel was crossing cultural barriers. You had Hellenists who were basically Greeks. They were, by culture, they were like, they were more like the Greeks or more like the Romans. And you had Hebrews who were, who were raised as good Jewish believers. And the church was made up of both of these groups. And, and the group of the, of the Hellenists, the Greek-minded people, were saying, hey, our widows aren't being cared for the same way the widows of the Hebrews are being cared for. It's not fair. You know, our widows aren't getting as much food as they're getting, and we've got a problem here. Now, I can't over, overstate this. This threatened to undermine the entire movement of the church. This was a huge problem. I mean, Christianity as we know it today could have gone in a very different direction if this situation had not been handled correctly. So this is a big issue. Look what happens in verse 2. And the twelve, those are the apostles summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom you will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Basically, the the apostles said, you know what? This is a big issue. This This is a major concern. And it deserves full attention. But... We cannot be distracted from teaching the message of the gospel. Remember, the New Testament hasn't been written. These are the folks who walked and talked and lived with Jesus day in and day out every day. They had to meet with people in small groups in their homes to teach the gospel, to teach the teachings of Jesus. They were busy writing down the things that he said and writing down the stories. And they're saying, listen, if we stop doing that in order to fix this problem of caring for the widows... The church is going to die because it's not going to have the gospel in it. So what are we going to do? So they said, hey, here we've got a problem. The problem forced them to reach beyond themselves and said, hey, you select seven people from among your group and appoint them to fix this issue. And so that's what they did. They got together. They selected seven uh, seven men. They laid hands on them, and this is what we, this is what we read uh, down in verse 6. So they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. See, here's what happened. They were facing a problem. They didn't run away from the problem. They didn't fight with each other. They focused on addressing the problem itself. And through the problem... God grew the church. He grew it internally by creating new people to serve and new people to fill positions. Uh, that position, by the way, it's not called that in this passage, but we, we know from reading on through the, through the rest of the New Testament that those are the first deacons. We still have deacons in the church today. It's because of a problem that happened. The, the, the ministry of deacons was born out of a problem. 
Actually, we're going to be ordaining five new deacons a week from tonight at 7 o'clock on the 28th. I hope you'll come and join us as we still continue to see the deacon ministry as deacons minister to people in the church through small groups. They free us up to continue to focus on teaching the word. There's been a lot changed in 2,000 years, but some things haven't changed. And all of that came about because the church was willing to address a problem See, the Bible is actually one continuous story of dysfunctional groups of people, if you've ever thought about it. I mean, if you go all the way back to the very first family, you had, you had in that first family a passive father, a domineering mother, and one brother who killed another brother. And you thought your family was dysfunctional, right? I mean, and you, you go on from there and you read further the story of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Ten of his sons sold one of their younger brothers into slavery, In that same family, you have stories of incest, you have stories of polygamy, you have stories of stealing, you have stories of murder. The Hebrews, Moses went back to deliver the Hebrew children out of slavery in Egypt. They're wandering in the desert for 40 years. They try to kill Moses at one point. They have orgies. There are all kinds of pagan rituals. Paul in the New Testament starts a church in the city of Corinth, and later on he writes back to that church, and you find out that church is fighting with each other. They're suing one another. There's a case of incest, illicit affairs. All this is happening in these churches. You see, problems in churches, problems in small groups, problems in community are nothing new. In fact, if you're looking for a perfect church or a small group, not only will you never find it, you are totally missing the point. Because it is in the conflict, it's in the struggle, it's in the problem that God will do his deepest work of growing your faith and strengthening you. Now, Heather just shared a story. It it was through the problem of a hurricane that a community was able to rally around and serve, not just Heather, but but this whole neighborhood. Now, I wouldn't wish for Irma to come. I wouldn't wish for people to lose things. But look at how many good things come about when the church works together to address a problem instead of allowing problems to divide them from one another. We face our problems in community. Tension and friction are part of God's plan for growing and smoothing out the rough edges of your faith. But listen, look up here. Look look right up here. Because some of you need to hear this. If you're somebody who runs away from every every tense moment, if you're somebody who runs away from problems and conflict every time they come, you will not grow in your faith. You will continue to stay stuck exactly where you are because God wants to use the conflict and the tension to grow you. But if all you do is stick your head in the sand and pretend like everything's okay when it's not okay, if all you do is try to avoid the real issues that are going on in your life, in your family, in your small group, in your church, you will not grow in your faith because God uses those challenges. He uses those problems to grow you. And I see it in church all the time. People come to one church, a problem arises, they leave it and go to another church. Guess what happens at that church? A problem arises. What do they do? They leave it and go to another church. And everywhere they go, there they are. And they stay plateaued in their faith because God is wanting to grow them through the challenges and the problems. So here, here's, here's what I, I want us to, to, to think about. I just want to share one little thing that God just really, um, I think God allowed me to see something that was always been in the Bible and always been obvious. I just hadn't noticed it before. And when I saw it, it really really captured my, my attention. I want you to look at each of these three examples of what the disciples shared in community. They shared the gospel in community. They shared their resources in community. They shared their problems in community. And I want you to look at what happened every time 
they shared those things in community. Look with me back at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. In, in verse 14 through 36, we see that they share the gospel. And look what it says in, in, in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then we see them sharing resources in verse 42 through 47. And then look what verse 47 says. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And then they shared their problem together in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. Look what verse 7 says. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Do you see what happened? Every time the disciples embraced community, every time they embraced community to share the gospel, Every time they embrace community to share their resources, every time they embrace community to share their problems, God not only grew their faith, he grew his church. Disciples grow in community. My question for you today is how will you embrace community as a way that God can grow your faith as well? For many of you, um, you come to church once a week, come to worship, and that's great, and I hope you'll keep doing it. It's okay. But I want you to hear me say circles are better than rows. And if you want to be intentionally involved in 2018 in growing your faith and walking closer to Jesus, one thing you can do is get involved in a small group. Become involved in community. Because it is in community with other people when life gets messy, hurricanes come, marriages fall apart, finances are bad. It's when those things happen in community that we actually put what we talk about into practice. When we put feet to our faith, And we have to serve one another and love one another and forgive one another and bear with one another's shortcomings. We do it in community. Hear me say this. You cannot follow Jesus from a church pew. You can't do it. You have to be willing to get up out of a church pew and follow Jesus into all the uncomfortable places where he may be leading you, where he wants to grow your faith. This year, we're encouraging all of you to join us on the disciples' journey. We put a little field guide together for you. There's some right outside this door across from the elevator. If you didn't get one, we're encouraging you. Pick that field guide up, the 365 challenge card in front of you or at that table. Get involved in a small group. And if you're in a small group, I hope every week you're talking about that field guide. I hope every week you're talking about the 365 challenge because it's in community that you can wrestle with these issues together and strengthen and grow your faith. Some of you may say, you know what? I'm interested in getting involved in some one-on-one discipling. I want to be involved in, in one-on-one discipling with me and, and, and one other man or, or one other woman or, or a small group of people to get together where we can hold each other accountable for how we're doing in our faith walk and really challenge and encourage one another. Today, on your communication card that Cindy pointed out earlier, um, I want you to just take that first section, and at the bottom of it, I want you to see in that gray section some places where you can, you can mark. Maybe today you'd like to be a part of a small group. Or, or maybe today you want to be involved in our, um, you want to be involved in discovering Southside, or you want to be involved in something that's going on. Would you just use this card as a way to let us know how we can help you take the next step that you need to take in order to grow in your faith? Stop by this table, pick up the field guide, pick up the 365 challenge. We're going to ask you to pray about that. Turn those in on February 11th. But two things that we've covered so far that are so critical, and God can use in your life this week to grow you. Number one, disciples, wait on God. Find time this week to be alone with God every day. Read the passages that we put in the back of your bulletin. Spend some time waiting on him and seeking him. Number two, disciples, grow in community. Find a small group of believers 
get with them and begin to share your faith journey together. Because he will not only grow your faith, he'll grow his church. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we pray. Um, Those who are collecting our offering, I'm going to ask you to come forward and just remind everybody that you can place those communication cards in the offering plate as they come. Maybe today you've got a prayer request. Maybe you'd like to speak with a minister. Um, A pastor this week will be sensitive to follow up with you if you'll mark that on that card and turn that in. Um, If you're online, you can use that online uh, connection card through the SSBC Jacks app. But we want to connect with you. We want to help you take your next steps. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today just so grateful for the gift of your church. Lord, it's amazing to see how it not only worked, but how it still works. And how the way it worked 2,000 years ago is very similar to the way it works when it's at its best today. And that is disciples living together in community, sharing the gospel together, sharing resources together, addressing problems together. Lord, may we be that kind of people. May we be that kind of church. May every one of our small groups be those kind of small groups. Father, that when we come to them, not only do we come to be refreshed and renewed, but we also come to be a part to help address the, other, the needs of the other people in the group. Father, I pray for all of us that whatever our next step in the disciples' journey is, maybe that's this week just carving out some time every day to spend in your word and in prayer. Maybe for somebody else that's just saying, you know what, I'm tired of talking about it. I'm going to get involved in a small group where I can talk about my faith and and learn and grow through the study of God's word. Whatever it might be, I pray that you will give all of us the faith that we need to take the next step on the disciples' journey. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the basic message of the gospel that draws us together from different languages, different nationalities, different backgrounds. Father, that it binds us together with one common love, and that is the love of Christ demonstrated for us through his death on the cross and that holds us together through the power of his resurrection. Lord, may we be a community that lives that out in the city of Jacksonville, that there may be people who don't share our faith or beliefs, but they look at us and they look at us with favor because they see something about the message of the gospel that they, that they desire in their own hearts and lives. Father, we pray for this offering that you'll take it and use it, not just here in our church, but in our city and around the world as we seek to use our resources for the furtherance of your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.